when we were thinking about uh, whom to ask uh, to come and speak here, there was just a moment where somebody went, what about Charles? And everybody in the room just went, of course, that's who we should ask. Can you hear me okay back there? Yeah, yeah, okay, that's good. Um, it must now have been, I've been trying to work it out, 11 or 12 years ago that I got a phone call from the then Bishop of Kensington, Bishop Michael, um, to say, actually, I'm not going to try and do an impression, but he has the most bishopy voice, um, apart from the ex-Bishop of London, um, you know, Richard. Uh, any chance you'd be willing to consider having a curate? And I, I actually, I thought somebody was playing a prank on me because I was a bit early on in, uh, in being a vicar. I didn't expect to be offered a curate so soon. So I immediately went, yes, please. And then had to think, who might he offer me? Uh, um, no, no, it's all good. It's all good. This story ends well, by the way, just before you're worrying. Um, and uh, I, I was thinking what the best way to introduce uh, Charles is. But I think the best way of saying it is uh, actually when Charles uh, and Charlie and Millie and Pippa uh, arrived at All Souls, they plunged headfirst uh, into the life of the church in such a way that it was it was hard to sort of imagine All Souls sort of having existed without them. Um, they were so immediately part of the church family uh, here. Um, and actually, it will be a thing of lifelong gratitude, as far as I'm concerned, uh, that it was Charles uh, and Charlie and the family uh, that came. And I think I won't ever be able to think of All Souls without them as part of that family. Um, so it's an absolute delight to welcome you back, as it were. I know we're away from home, but, but back here. Um, Charles has a huge heart that God's given him. Uh, an incisive mind, and most of all, he loves the Lord. Um, and I know that uh, over the past few weeks, he's been listening and studying um, and uh, wanted to hear what God's got for us. So we should come, uh, not just because of Charles, but because of Jesus, with great expectation uh, for what God has to give uh, to us today. Uh, he is a vicar of um, a pair of churches um, up in what I like to think of as North London, but what is probably Hertfordshire. But we'll will own you as London still, uh, not too far away. Um, if you haven't spotted Charlie yet, um, Charlie's over here, um, who is uh, training for ordination at the moment. And uh, uh, the, the two of them have Millie and Pippa, um, two, two, two girls that I think of as this high, but are probably, yeah, this high now. Fantastic. Charles, uh, let me pray for you. And uh, I think we ought to give him a round of applause. It's great to see him. It's, it's good to get the applause in early on this one. Heavenly Father, thank you for Charles. Thank you that you've called him uh, to know you. Thank you that he is your son uh, and that you love him and that he loves you back. Uh, thank you also that you've put in him such a love for your word uh, and such a love for your people. And we pray that over these next few minutes and actually over the rest of today, you will speak through him just as you've been speaking to him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you hear me? Ah, oh, great. Uh, good morning. Um, Thank you, Richard, for that uh, very generous introduction. Um, uh, it's, I'm so thrilled uh, to be here. This is the highlight of my year to come to uh, Seoul uh, Journey. Um, All Souls has a very special place in uh, my heart and in Charlie's heart as well. Um, so we feel exactly the same way uh, about you. And um, I came here uh, as a, to, to All Souls, that is, as a curate in 2000. And uh, eight. Oh. <laughs> we were young once, Richard. And we had better eyesight as well. Uh, truth be told, we actually arrived at All Souls in a bit of a heap. Um, we had just left Theological College. Uh, uh, Millie, our eldest, was born midway through our time there. 
and our youngest Pitt was born six weeks before we uh, moved. And Charlie had pelvic girdle pain uh, with Millie, and it came back with a vengeance uh, with Pip. And so when we arrived at All Souls, um, she uh, was actually on crutches to get around. Uh, we had a disabled parking permit, uh, and uh, she was in constant uh, pain, really. And, and despite the fact that I'd spent three years supposedly preparing for this transition uh, to ministry. Actually, I was kind of really struggling uh, with that uh, transition. But what we found at All Souls when we arrived was uh, a community full a lot of the same challenges, but above all, a community that loved us, accepted us, uh, prayed uh, for us. And so for all the difficulties of that kind of transition, we look back on our time at All Souls with incredible uh, fondness. Uh, we left in, when we left in 2011, you gave us a wonderful um, photo book, which we still have with lots of um, uh, prayers and farewells uh, in us. Um, that was us receiving it. Charlie was quite overwhelmed, as you can see. And I sat down the other day just to look over it, and I'm just so grateful uh, looking over it for those uh, three years and for the time uh, we spent with you. I'm sure those of you who were around at the time will, will remember probably better than I can. I was a curate. All my many mishaps and mistakes, there were lots. Uh, the one that stood out to me was quite early in my time at All Souls. Um, when I was first ordained at St. Paul's in 2008, I was ordained a deacon. And being a deacon is all about service. And so I thought, right, I'm going to serve people practically as a deacon, except that I'm a very impractical um, person. And one of my first victims uh, was Pat, Pat Andrews, and her lovely husband, Ken. I was visiting them one day uh, when one of them mentioned that their computer was broken. Uh, so quick as a flash, I said, oh, I could, do, I could fix that for you, uh, despite the fact I don't really have any IT background uh, at all. Do you remember Pat? Yeah. <laughs> So the only solution I knew was turning the computer off and turning it back on again. So I thought, I thought I'll do that. So I turned it off, turned it back on again, and then smoke started coming out. You know, you know the bit at the back where there's a kind of fan in the old sort of hard drive? Smoke started coming out the back of the, um, the fan. I completely totaled uh, their computer. But, but I'm, you know, 12 years on, I'm still really, really sorry about that. <laughs> Obviously, a big part of what made All Souls so special for us was uh, Richard and Catherine, their friendship, their support, as we were uh, getting to know uh, what life in ministry was all about. And I'm so grateful uh, to God for leading uh, me to Richard for my curacy. I met, I learned so much uh, from him. And um, he genuinely is an expert on everything, as far as I can... <laughs> Um, it's amazing. Whatever the topic was, he was always able to find something, something wise and helpful uh, to share about it. So he continues to be uh, such a gift uh, to me. That's not to say we didn't have our differences. Um, before training ministry, I was a city lawyer. Uh, so I like to know what we were doing, when we were doing it, <laughs> and, and when we were going to be doing it. By contrast, Richard has, how can I put it, um, an enormous appetite for improvisation. <laughs> he likes to keep things open uh, as long as possible. But it was a really creative tension for me, and I learned so much through that, and it really stood me in great stead for my subsequent ministry. I have one confession to make, though. About a month ago, uh, Richard uh, uh, texted me and said, what are your talks about uh, for the weekend away? And I was having quite a busy day, um, and I, I just needed to buy a bit of time and then it came to me. 
So I texted him back and said, what are yours going to be about? <laughs> so I got another 24 hours, so sorry, Richard. <laughs> and although none of us knew at the time that we first talked about this weekend, obviously it's now coming at a really significant time in the life of uh, all souls uh, as Richard prepares uh, to move on to be Archdeacon of Middlesex. <laughs> I don't know if many of you are fans of the sitcom uh, Rev. Uh, the caricature of archdeacons is that they are these officious enforcers with an enormous appetite for the minutiae of church law, uh, but no feel or sympathy for mission. I'm not sure I can imagine anyone more different from that than Richard. And I personally regard the appointment of someone like Richard, someone as imaginative, dynamic, godly as him, uh, to a senior position in the Church of England as a hugely hopeful sign uh, for it. So um, I rejoice uh, over it. But obviously, Charlie and I will be praying for you uh, as you go through this transition uh, together. And so it's an enormous uh, honour to um, uh, be speaking uh, to you today. Um, and my hope is across these three sessions we've got today that we're going to be able to be reminded of what our fundamental purpose is as Christians uh, and as human beings. And how that purpose take hold of that goal in our lives. And above all, that God might meet with us and empower us uh, to do that. So in this um, first talk, we're going to look at the purpose of the Christian life, what it's all about, uh, which I've summarized as the Father's uh, good pleasure. Then after the break, uh, there'll be a second talk, uh, looking this time at the shape of the Christian life, uh, the fundamental dynamic, uh, if you like, uh, which for shorthand I've called union with Christ. And then finally, later in the afternoon, in the third and final talk, we're going to look at how we can step into uh, this life uh, that God sets before us, which I've called walking uh, by the Spirit. Does that sound okay? Good. I'm a bit stuck if you'd said no there, but... <laughs> And in the process, we're going to start with the very first uh, chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to finish with the very last chapter of the Bible, uh, Revelation 22. But we are going to skip a few uh, in between. <laughs> so this first talk, then, is, a, is an exploration of the purpose of the Christian life. Uh, why are we here? And what is it that God is looking for uh, from us? And in essence, I want to suggest that God's primary purpose in making the entire creation is for it to be a setting for his dealings with us, with you and me. And his primary purpose for us is that we might become like Jesus, who embodies humanity as it was originally intended to be. And when that happens, he takes great pleasure in it because he loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. As I said, we're going to begin with the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis uh, chapter 1. And if you read Genesis chapter 1, I think the first thing that strikes you, it is a very structured, uh, almost poetic account of the origins of the world. And it has these repeating uh, phrases in it. And God said, let there be. And it was, it was so. And God made. And God saw that it was good. And then again, and God said, let there be. And it was so. Again and again. And Genesis chapter 1 conveys a number of fundamental truths about God, about the world, and about us, about humanity. And it's not so much addressing the question, how did he make the world, as why did he make it? Why did he create the world? What purpose does it have? 
and what's our place as human beings uh, within it? In the opening um, chapter of Genesis, the account of the first day, uh, you have light and darkness, and that prefigures the fourth day, sun, moon, and stars. And then the second day, sea and sky, prefigures the fifth day, fish and birds. And then the sixth day, land and plants, prefigures day six, the land, animals, and humanity. And humanity is the pinnacle of the whole thing. And so first, each sphere moving from heaven to earth, so you have light and dark, sea and sky, land and plants, uh, is formed. And then each is in turn filled, sun, moon, and stars, fish and birds, land animals, and humanity. And it's important to realize that, that Genesis chapter one wasn't written in a vacuum. Uh, Israel's neighbors, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, uh, they had their own uh, creation accounts. And one of the features that Genesis chapter one has in common with uh, some of those is that the creator order is presented as being formed and filled like a palace for the pleasure of a ruling deity, like a king making a palace uh, for himself. And in those other accounts, the final act is that the king takes his place within the palace that he has built and filled, and he rests there. And obviously you see some of that in Genesis chapter one. Uh, the palace of creation is formed and filled for God, for his pleasure. And again, again, God sees that it was good. But there's a really crucial way in which Genesis chapter one differs from all those other accounts. And that's in the role that humanity plays within it. In other accounts, human beings are the slaves of the ruling deity. The, 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 the king builds the palace, sits down to take pleasure in it, and humanity are there like as the servants. But it's different in Genesis chapter one. The very culmination of filling it is to place humanity uh, within this palace uh, to be God's agents and representatives. And, and as if to underscore uh, that, it says all the way through the account, it said it was good. And then when it comes And so God made uh, humanity in his image and likeness to underscore that fact, image and likeness. So in order to relate to him, uh, but also male and female uh, to be in these relationships of mutuality with each other and also in relation to creation, to be the agents and representatives of God. So what the opening chapter of Genesis is saying is that God's primary purpose in making everything that we see, his primary purpose is to be the setting, if you like, the palace within which his dealings with us take place. And in relation to all the other uh, acts of creation, uh, God simply says, let there be, and there is. Let there be, and there is. It's order and execution. But with humanity, the tone uh, changes. God says, let us make human beings. Not let there be human beings, let us make human beings. It's, if you like, the beginning of a project. Everything else, it's, he says it and it happens. But this is the beginning of a project. It's a project that's going to founder on humanity's pride and disobedience. It's going to continue through the history of his people, Israel. And it's going to culminate in the coming of Jesus Christ. In our household, particularly when household tasks are involved, let us 
often means, please will you. The heart of God's project is let us rest crucially with us. Will we play our part in fulfilling God's purposes for his creation? In many ways, uh, the gospel uh, that most picks up these themes uh, from Genesis uh, chapter 1 is the gospel of John, and particularly the prologue, uh, John chapter 1. Obviously, here we have an echo, uh, don't we, of the creation uh, story. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And the Greek word for for human being, uh, so the equivalent of Adam in Genesis uh, chapter 1 is anthropos. That's the Greek word for human being. It's quite an interesting exercise to track that word through the gospel of John, to see how this project uh, that God has in making the whole world uh, unfolds. So in chapter 5 of uh, John's gospel, you might remember the story of the man by the pool of Bethesda, uh, the infirm man by the pool of Bethesda, Uh, He's uh, surrounded uh, by the lame, the blind, the paralyzed. And he cries out uh, to Jesus, I have no one. Literally, I have no anthropos to get me into the pool when the waters are stirred. I have no way to find healing. I have no way to find salvation. We have no way to find our way back into that original relationship for which we were created. And then in John chapter 19, uh, Jesus is before Pilate. He's before the baying uh, crowds who are baying for his crucifixion. And when uh, Jesus comes out uh, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate points to him and says, here is the man. Here is the Anthropos. Here is the one uh, in whom that purpose finds uh, fulfillment, the perfect human life from beginning uh, to end. Perfect obedience, uh, perfect love. He is the one who can restore this relationship. He's the one in which the image that we read about in Genesis chapter one is restored. And then finally, uh, in John chapter 19, if if you keep in mind that let us make human beings in our own image, you have Jesus on the cross, crying out with his final breath, it is finished. The whole project is finished. Finally, a human life that is like that that God originally intended when he made everything that we see. That's what the whole purpose was for, a life of perfect obedience to him, of perfect love towards others, a perfect union of God and man, relationship restored. Are you still with me? Good. And the good news, of course, is that he's done it for the whole of humanity. He's done it for all of us. In him, in Jesus, we find... ...into the pool to heal us of our selfishness, of our pride, to save us from ourselves and to restore us uh, to our maker. And God's primary purpose in making the entire creation was for it to be a setting for his dealings with us and his primary purpose for us is that we might become like Jesus the pinnacle of his project 
and who embodies humanity as it was originally intended. And Irenaeus of Lyon, there's a name, uh, Irenaeus of Lyon, uh, a second century uh, church father, he said this, he said, the glory of God, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. That is the pinnacle of God's glory. The height of everything he wanted to achieve when he made everything that we see. Jesus Christ, a human being fully alive. Stephen Olford, who uh, was the person that Billy Graham said most influenced him uh, in his ministry, uh, he said this once, I've come to see that there's one thing that matters, really only one thing that matters, and that is that I become more and more like Jesus Christ. There's so much unlikeness to Christ, so much imperfection and failure in my life. And the more I study theology and the more I read the Bible, the more I see that the supreme purpose for the foreordination of God man's justification, sanctification, glorification, is that we might be conformed to the likeness of his son. I hope that when my boys look back upon my life and I've gone on and left them behind, they're not going to say daddy was a pastor, daddy used to preach in evangelistic campaigns or on television or radio. I hope they'll say we had a daddy who reminded us of Jesus. That's all that matters. The only thing that matters about you and me is that you're like Jesus. Don't we all know deep down that that's what it's all about? For all that we chase after other things, and I do as much as the next person, uh, we know deep down that the things we achieve, the things we acquire, the things we consume, they're not the things that matter. What matters in the end is who we are. That's what the whole thing is about. And it's something that the father takes great pleasure in. In the beginning of Genesis uh, chapter one, he says, let there be and behold, there was. And creation is a product of his will, but it's not like a dry mechanical will. It's a <laughs> abundant, joyful will. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was very good. He took pleasure in it. And at Jesus' baptism, as he rose from the waters, the father voice comes from heaven and says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. He takes pleasure in him. The ultimate pleasure of the Father in the Son. And the Father's good pleasure is that we might be transformed to be like him. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. And it's out of this joyful will that God made the whole world and he made you and me. And the rest of the story is our disobedience and sin and the corruption of the good uh, creation. But God's will remains the same. It's the first word but it's the last word as well. And even our disobedience and sin cannot overwhelm God's pleasure and will. His perfect will surrounds creation and it surrounds our lives as well. And it's the final word on it. God's good pleasure is so great that it can encompass within it even the worst atrocities 
and disasters of history, and also the greatest failures and sadnesses of our lives. He made the world for his good pleasure, and his good pleasure in the end will prevail. I lost my sister Catherine uh, from ovarian cancer in the space of four months at the end of 2015. Uh, she made it to Christmas and then she died in early uh, January 2016, age 45. Uh, she was a very special person and her should, uh, took her funeral and I gave one of the eulogies at the funeral. And towards the end, I said I was trying to sum up, uh, perhaps as much to myself as, as anyone else, what she meant uh, to me. And I said this. There's a photo that sits on my desk at home of two of us at a miniature village on the Belgian-Dutch border. Catherine is five and I am two. I look strangely lost, but she is looking at the camera and holding my hand. And I guess that sums up how I feel as I stand here today. I'm a 42-year-old man, but without her, I feel strangely lost. Now, I don't be, pretend to be an expert uh, about grief. I lost my father very suddenly in my 20s, and my mum I am losing gradually uh, to uh, dementia. And clearly there will be some of you here who have had more painful, uh, more traumatic losses uh, than that. The grief of a parent is different from the uh, grief of a spouse, which is different from the grief of a child, which is different from the grief of a sibling. And there are probably as many griefs as there are people and relationships. And I share that not, not to suggest that they in any way compare with each other, but just say that what I say is I don't say glibly. The answer the Bible gives is that we're not left to try and fit these events, these huge events in the limited horizon of our lives. If we were, it would be really tragic. But instead there's a greater canvas within which they can be incorporated. And that canvas is God's love for his whole creation. The story of Jesus Christ crucified and risen again for us. And the story of his good purposes within that for us. Uh, 18 months after uh, Catherine died, I took a retreat and I was reflecting quite generally about the good purposes of God. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And then Catherine came to my mind and she had left us uh, some money in her will and I had been having incredible difficulty uh, thinking about it. Every time Charlie wanted to talk about what we might do with it, I just put off the topic. I, I didn't want to uh, talk about it. Quite soon after she died and I told someone about this, uh, they said, oh, it's a blessing. The money is a blessing. And I thought, no, it's not. Because if it is, then, then, then God's involved somehow in all of this. And subconsciously, I was shutting him out uh, of my grief. Anyway, on this retreat, I came to a point where I suddenly found the courage to let him in and to ask the question I'd been honestly carrying around since she died, but feared asking, why did she have to die? And in that moment, everything seemed to shift. It's not that I got an answer, but I suddenly saw that God's good purposes are so vast, so all-encompassing, so indestructibly good, that just as the nail marks are still inscribed on Jesus' body as he ri rises again, in some inscrutable but magnificent way, even this loss, even this sadness, is not too great to find its place within God's loving purposes for me. And when I got back from the retreat, I was reading the Psalms, and this verse from Psalm 116 popped up. 
By grief and sorrow I was held. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beg you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord. There's so much to marvel at, isn't there, in creation. It's vastness, the sheer creativity of these billions and billions of stars and billions and billions of atoms. The extraordinary precision of it all, that if the conditions were slightly different, the physical world uh, would not uh, sustain life. The dazzling array of species, the beauty and complexity. I, I went to the opticians uh, for a retinal scan a little while ago, and uh, she was scanning my eye, and we, it showed the retina and the capillaries and the optic nerve and the macula. Uh, just saw Nick as I said that, but there we go. Um, the macula. I just, said, I just turned to her, I said, it's a wonder, isn't it? And she said, it really is. God's primary purpose in creating everything was for it to be a setting for his dealings with us. And the primary purpose for us is that we might become like Jesus, fully human as he is fully human. And when that happens, in the midst of life, with all its mess, he takes great pleasure in it because he loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. Isn't that incredible? God made the universe. He made it so that you might seek him and find relationship in Jesus with him. It's all about relationship, knowing God and being known by him. That's why he made everything. It was all for you. We have two cats, a boy and a girl. The boy is called Arthur and the girl is called Delilah. It's a bit of a story around that. Um, our, our, our youngest Pip named, named her. And um, when she said Arthur and Delilah, she said, don't you mean Samson and Delilah? Uh, but she said, no, no, because I used to make up stories for them. And there was a story called Arthur and Delilah, which was basically Hansel and Gretel with the names uh, changed. So she thought about Arthur and Delilah. And the boy is called Arthur. And, and usually I'm the first up in our family. And I tend to head downstairs to my study at first thing in the morning. And usually Arthur hears me and he follows me down. And very often he'll come and sit where I'm sitting. And sometimes he will come onto my chest and snuggle in and start purring. And when that happens, that's one of the best parts of my day. And after a while, I usually get up and I feed him and his sister Delilah. And I've been hoping all along that it's not all about that. Uh, there's some, you know, genuine affection uh, there. Anyway, one day I gave myself an extra hour in bed. And uh, so I was an hour later coming downstairs. And so when I came into the study, I was greeted by loud meows from Arthur as if to say, where were you? And when I sat down, he came over and he stretched out on his back full length. And I mean full length. As it happens, I captured the moment for posterity. It's very poor quality on my phone, uh, but this is the day that Arthur came down. So that's his head going backwards between his arms. And he's completely stretched out. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> and you know, it wasn't even me who fed him that morning. How good is that? 
But Arthur is a cat, but even he knows that it's all about relationship. Be like Arthur. <laughs> you know, he's, he's just stretched out. Stretched out. Can we be like that? Can we be like that with the Lord? Can we go for a relationship with him? Can we explore his good pleasure? What he wants for us, this, this fully human life that we see in Jesus. Can we, can we push into the fact that he loves us? and wants to be in relationship with us. Let's be like Arthur. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that uh, in your great goodness and love, Lord, you have made everything that we see, and you've made us as well. Lord, as we come to you uh, in this uh, weekend away soul journey, Lord, with the challenges struggles and failures that we bring. Lord, we pray that you would indeed help us uh, to see afresh the great pleasure that you take in us. Lord, the indestructible purposes that you have for each of our lives uh, to be made more like Jesus. Above all, Lord, would you remind us of your great love for us and help us to know you and be known by you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. just take one minute just to be uh, still and uh, uh, just in that stillness just uh, listen to your own heart uh, think back on what you've heard it feels to me like we've already had a rich meal to start the day uh, what is it that God wants to say to you just in that minute or so of stillness uh, before we uh, go and collect children and have some coffee